Now we'll find the book of John, but not chapter 15, okay? Uh, every one of the chapters are good, but I want you to turn to the book of John. We are certainly seeing evident right before our very eyes the fact that our father is our husbandman and that he is orchestrating our spiritual life and managing it for us. He is speaking to folks. Our brother Shaw last night in his sermon went right to a text of scripture that we went to a man and I who's here right now uh, in looking for guidance from God. We went right to James chapter one and man, then the preacher preached on it last night. What a coincidence. And I tell you, my mind's going all over the place from this morning's uh, sermon. And it's all because uh, two different voices, but it's the same person, our Father in heaven. And he's certainly helping us. I'm being helped, that's for sure. Now we're going to John chapter 21. Kind of an odd scripture in more than one way. But look at the beginning. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. Even today, Tiberias is a major city on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus now meets them again there on the coast of the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, there's two of them, James and John, and two other of the, his disciples. Now do the math. That adds up to seven. Seven out of 12. More than half. One of the 12 apostles has dropped out. Of course, that's Judas Iscariot. So it's well over half of the disciples join Simon Peter in getting into the boat and doing what they're about to do. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. I get to go back in a few weeks on the uh, revival tour of Israel, and I've been able to go over there a few times. Even today, the fishing is done at night. And the Lord Jesus Christ, more than once, caught his fishing disciples failing in their quest to catch fish at night. They were expert fishermen. And uh, now uh, they have fished all night and they caught zero. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast ye the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it, the net, for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring ye of the fish which ye have now caught. 
verse 11. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of fishes, 153. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Now there's a reason why they didn't want to talk to him. He had made them breakfast, breakfast of fish and uh, uh, other things. And he says, Come and dine. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Now when they had died, now listen to this. Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He was saying, do you love me more than the fish? He saith unto him, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. Now, everybody here ought to know about the book of John. You probably already do. Back in chapter 20, you turn the page back and see the way 20 ends. And many other signs, verse 30, Truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Now the book of John was written by John, the son of Zebedee, when he was an old man. He was the youngest one of the twelve apostles, the last one to die. In his later years, he was writing, doing a lot of writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He, in some of his writings, simply called himself the elder, the old man. He was the last one left. And the one we call the book of John was written for the purpose of convincing the reader that Jesus is who he claims to be. Well, he says that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that the believing you might have life in his name, the theme of the book. Chapter 1, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. In the following chapters, it's called eternal life, everlasting life, and it's a whole lot more than just going to heaven. And he says, I give my life not just for the world, but to the world. Chapter 6, that you might have life in his name, a wonderful book, and so many thousands have come to understand Jesus Christ and have been introduced to him by reading the book of John, including me. That's how I got saved. Now, what a, what a wonderful book. And I mentioned about the I am's, and they are revealing to the reader who Jesus really is. It's just a great book, but with a really odd conclusion. You know, some of the books of the Bible are really... Uh, strange in their beginnings and their ends, and I could get off beaten track here, but this one is, how would the book of John end with that theme and that purpose? Simon Peter. Now we meet Simon Peter in chapter one, and you can follow him throughout the book. Sometimes he's named. 
Sometimes he makes important remarks in certain situations. Sometimes he's just among the ones called his disciples. But you can follow Simon Peter's experience with Jesus Christ all the way through the book. But now, in the last chapter, he's a backslider. He is a backslider. We've been talking about chapters 13 through 17. Chapter 18 happened that same night. Five chapters that record one talk the night before Jesus died. But there's another church chapter about that night, and it's chapter 18. And here is Peter's downfall. Self-will. He's the one that chops off that servant's ear. The other books about the words and works of Jesus tell us about the ear incident. But only John tells us it was Simon Peter, who would not have it that Jesus would be arrested. And in his self-will, he takes that drastic step. But then self-will leads to, of all things, though they all forsake you, yet will not I. Denial. I don't know what you're saying. I'm not one of them. He denies knowing Jesus Christ, and now he quits. When he says, I go a-fishing, he doesn't mean, now why don't we go out there and see if we can catch a few fish? No, he's saying, let's go back to the fishing business. Three and a half years ago, he had met Jesus Christ on that same shore. Some people think in that same part of the shore. Who said, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And that's what the goal was. That's what the plan was for three and a half years. But now he says, I quit. I'm going back to the fishing business. How about you? And took half of the apostolate to get with him. Did you know what? Seldom do people backslide by themselves. He influenced more than half of the 12 apostles to give up all their plans to follow Jesus and become fishermen again. And they're caught. That's why they won't speak. Man, he's a backslider. And the book of John, of all things, ends with the story of the restoration of a backslider. We would go, hmm? That's not what this book is about. Oh, but it is. Oh, but it is. And it tells us there's hope for a backslider. Dear Lord, help us to see that for a thousand reasons. Help us, Lord, as we continue on the journey you're taking us on during this conference. May we, Lord, find ourselves abiding in you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I pastored the Junietta Baptist Church. How do you like that name, Junietta? Uh, it's an Indian name, a very small little, if you could even call it a town, in Tuscola County, Michigan. I was a country preacher for 34 years. And that's where I live, way out there in the sticks. And our church was a pretty good-sized church and well-known church in our area, and I got to be there for a long time. I remember one Sunday night, we had a whole row of people in the back of the auditorium that I did not know. As I look back there, I recognize them somewhat. Being in a rural area, you know a lot of Christians, even if you don't know their name. And uh, those folks are not from our church. What are they doing back there? 
Well, anyway, after the service, I preached that night on backsliding. And uh, after the service, they came up to see me and said, Pastor Flanders, we uh, really enjoyed that service. We're all from the first Baptist, first, excuse me, from the first church of the Nazarene in Carroll. Nazarene people. And you know what? We're having trouble in our church right now. And so we decided to get away from the trouble and come to Juniata and hear you. I said, well, thank you very much. Appreciate you being <laughs> And she said, we were surprised that you preach on backsliding. We didn't think Baptists believed in backsliding. I said, ma'am, we not only believe in backsliding, we practice it. <laughs> now, if we were somewhere in public and we saw someone we knew as a Christian doing something wrong, we caught them. There they are. Oh, maybe they're sucking on a tobacco stick. I don't know. There they are. We're a little surprised. Brother so-and-so, and look at that. Let me ask you something. Is he a backslider? The answer is a politician's answer. It depends. If I catch a Christian doing wrong, he might be a backslider, and he may not be a backslider. Backsliding is an Old Testament word in the Proverbs, in the prophets, especially Jeremiah and Hosea, backsliding. You know what it means? You're back from where you were. Okay, back to my question. So here's this fellow right out there in public, and he comes to Falls Baptist Church, and he's a Christian, and he's doing something a person shouldn't do. Okay, there he is. Is he backslidden? Okay, his story could be one of these, one of two. Number one, he gets witnessed to, talked to, takes Bible studies, shows up at the church a lot. Finally, he gets it. I need Jesus Christ, comes forward, asks for help, and gets saved. He's born again. He's got assurance. He's coming to uh, Bible studies. He's growing in grace. Pastor baptizes them. He's going forward, going forward, and he's got an addiction. He's got a habit. They're bringing him in on Wednesday, on Friday night, maybe, or I'm making up this story, okay? So he's moving forward. He's reading his Bible. He's treating his wife better than he used to. He's doing a whole lot better, but he hasn't yet given up so-and-so. But he's farther than he's ever been as a follower of Jesus Christ. He just hasn't had the victory over the tobacco or whatever that is. Okay, you know what? If you catch him smoking a cigarette, he's not a backslider. You know why he's not a backslider? Because he hasn't gotten that far yet. It's progressive sanctification. So he's not right yet. He needs help, but he's not backslidden because he's not back from where he was. Okay, here's another person. They get saved and uh, follow the Lord in baptism and they're growing in grace and uh, they're learning how to walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now they're witnessing they carry gospel tracts with them. They will talk to perfect strangers about Christ. They'll come out to the visitation and evangelism programs of the church. They will join up with somebody else and make a visit. And they have led people to Christ and man, oh man. And when we sing, they sing with all their heart. And you know, uh, they become part of ministries at the church and man, there they are. Anytime we're here, they're here. Whoa, then an issue comes up. Now they don't announce it, but it comes up. And it might be at home. 
It might be, God wants me to, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to kowtow to what she wants. Or I can't afford to tithe. You know, I know this stewardship. I might as well skip January. Because I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to. Maybe I'll, I'll give money, but I'm not 10%. An issue comes up between them and God. You can't see it. You know, sometimes in churches where some of the men will wear little tags, like it'll say usher, or it'll say choir. And uh, sometimes I'll say, you know, that's a good idea. Why well, do you have everybody labeled like a troublemaker? <laughs> Gossip. <laughs> Now, but that's not what they're for. But you know what? You don't know when somebody's got an issue. You know, they're still in college. And they're not, and they maybe even are still coming out. But guess what? There's an issue. Now their heart is cold. They're not following Jesus Christ. They're where followers go. They come here. But there's an issue. And you know what? Finally, it shows. <laughs> They're not evangelizing like they were. See, uh, they're not witnessing on their own or coming out with us. And uh, you know what? Uh, when they pray in a prayer meeting, it's not the way it used to be. You know, here they are. They don't smoke. They don't chew. They don't run with them that do. And they're not going to get disciplined by the church. But you know what they are? Backslidden. You know why? They're back from where they were. See, and friends, Simon Peter, we've caught him. Backslidden. When Jesus rose from the dead, we have many accounts of his appearance to the disciples, and Peter is saying nothing. Matter of fact, more than once, he says, tell my disciples and Peter, that I go before them into Galilee. He was targeting Peter. Why was Jesus Christ risen from the dead targeting Peter? He's the backslider. He's the one. He needs to be retrieved, which doesn't happen till this chapter. Yeah, and he's quiet. I think I know why. In the upper room where Jesus said, uh, peace be unto you, and behold my hands and my feet in my side. All that was happening. Peter says not a word, which is very uncharacteristic. He's in the back there, hiding out. Why? He's ashamed. That critical night, Jesus Christ said, you're all going to forsake me. He said, if they do, I won't. I'll die with you. And Jesus warned him, and he said, before the rooster crows, you'll deny you even know me. Oh, no, very public, very public, and then a terrible crash, a terrible crash. A teenage girl, you were with him? No, and then he cursed and swore, used his fisherman language to prove to everyone he wasn't a follower. And now Jesus rose from the dead. And some of the accounts, like in John, looks like Simon Peter is really, really nervous about this. He goes out to see if what the lady said was true, and he discovers the empty tomb. And the Bible says that John believed, but it doesn't say Peter believed. His faith is in trouble. 
He's hiding, denying, doubting. And now he's quitting. Going back to fishing. And Jesus says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than the fish? <laughs> Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Now, I want to show you something very simple here about the backslider. Now, do you know where you are, Brother Flanders? You know, Baptist College of Ministry, people are here because they're studying for the ministry. And Baptist College of Ministry, you don't expect to find a backslider here. Did you know that that is basically the definition of revival? I'm back from where I was. I'm back from where I ought to be. And you know what a spiritual awakening is when I wake up to the fact that I'm backslidden. And he retrieves me. Now, let me show you, this won't take long. What is the hope in this story about the backslider? Number one is failure. Okay, so they fail. It says here in verse 5, Children, have ye any meat? You know, I do like to fish. I'm not a good fisherman. I'm not very successful. But the roughest thing about going fishing on a day is when somebody comes by and says, caught anything? <laughs> Sometimes you want them to say that, but a lot of times for me, caught it. Children, have ye any meat? <laughs> no. Failure. Do you mean if I backslide, everything will collapse? I'll get fired from my job, my marriage will fall to pieces, nothing works when you're backslidden? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it's not the same as when you were abiding in Christ. It's not the same. And the failure motivates us to come back. Now, many of us know backsliders that we're burdened about. You've already asked me to pray with you about someone who's not where they used to be. Okay. How many of you would say, I believe I know a backslider? Raise your hand. And it might be you. Hands down. I'm going to tell you something. They're having a rough time. Having a rough time. I remember making a visit on a family and the husband wasn't home. He was the serious backslider. And the wife wasn't really right with God either. And I uh, said, oh, when do you think he'll be home? And we talked a moment, and then she said this, you know what, he's really grouchy and depressed. He's just not gotten used to being backslidden. <laughs> We're not supposed to get used to being backslidden. We read in the last couple of days, if you abide in him, you flourish. Ask what you will, and it shall be done. Much fruit, peace, well, if I abide, I flourish. If I abide not in him, I wither. Now, folks in here who have been trained for the ministry, been in the ministry, we have known people who have backslidden while they were in the ministry, and we hear the sad story. Did you hear about so-and-so? Something happened. Maybe he's not in the ministry anymore because of it. Maybe he's not married anymore because of it. 
But we hear the bad news. Do you hear about so? Oh, man. Not a good deal. A couple of times in my life, I have seen this person. There are different people like this. We went to school together, and they've been in the ministry, and now something awful occurred. I heard about it, and now I saw him just by coincidence. There he was. And I'll come home, and I'll say, Tony, that's my wife's name. I'll say, guess who I saw today? <laughs> who did you see? And sometimes I'll end up saying this. He looked terrible. Because you wither not only spiritually, you wither emotionally and sometimes physically. Sometimes it's shocking to see what we see. And friends, the change down is motivation for a backslider to come back. For you to come to your senses. For you to become desperate. Now, every backslider knows he's not where he ought to be. And you know what? If, uh, if I did what the Lord wanted me to do, I would come forward sometime today and get right with God. And you know that, but you're not desperate and not focused. But you know what? All the failure around you, all the falling apart, all the withering can sometimes get you to the point where you come to your senses. He came to himself. And you go, this has got to be priority. I got to call a preacher. I got to do something because I can't stay like this. And friends, all the sad stories you're hearing about backsliders in your life and family is good news. Because Simon Peter was restored. And the main thing that did it was failure. He can't make it as a fisherman. Wow. Number two, love. Now, I think Simon Peter, I'm not that smart, but doesn't take a great imagination to figure out that Simon Peter was blindsided. And uh, he saw the Lord on the shore, didn't know who he was. And John, the beloved disciple, says, that's the Lord. Don't you remember three and a half years ago, same thing happened? We were fishing, didn't catch anything. He said, throw your net out on the other. Same thing. That's Jesus Christ. So he puts on his fisher's coat and he jumps in the water, swims ashore and says, not a word. The Lord Jesus has made a fire, and he's cooking fish, and he's got bread, and uh, he invites everybody to come and dine. Peter's there. He says, not a word. And you know what he's ready for? So, uh, you're not going to forsake me, eh? <laughs> so, you'll die for me. You would never turn your back on me. Is that it? You're not going to deny me, are you? Simon Peter, the man with the big mouth, you know, you're all right. Yeah, he was ready for that. That's why he was hiding all this time, all these post-resurrection appearances. Simon Peter was somewhere at the wall. And now they're sitting there on the shore, and the Lord Jesus blindsided them. And he said, do you love me? It wasn't rebuke. It was a question. Do you love me? Number one, more than the fish? Blindsided. Yes, you know I love you. Did you know backsliders love Jesus? 
Did you know the Bible says, on the day you were saved, the love of God was shed abroad in your heart. One of the ways to describe regeneration is love came in. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Love for Christ and love for your fellow man that was never there before comes from God into your heart and he doesn't go away. Jesus said, I'll give you another comforter, the spirit of truth. He will abide with you forever. Through backsliding, through straying away, through detours out of God's will, the Holy Spirit's still there. And when the Holy Spirit's still there, the love is still there. So he said to the backslider, do you love me? And I'm going to tell you something, friends. The love in the heart of a backslider for Jesus Christ, although you may not see it, he may not admit it to you. You know, I remember a man, actually, I drive by his house quite a lot on my way home out there in the rural area. I go by his house. I think he's dead now. It was a lot of years ago. But I remember his family got saved and started coming, and he wouldn't come. And I was out at the house one of the times, and he told me, well, he said, you know, I, I was a Christian. That's the way he put it. Down in Detroit as a teenager, I was a part of victorious Christian youth, and I was on fire. I led people to Christ. Yeah, I know what you're doing. I've been there. Told me the whole story. So then uh, when we came down to the end of that, I stopped and I said, could I ask you something? You know what I think? And he was a man who had joined a denomination that thinks you lose your salvation when you're unfaithful. So I didn't deal with that, but here's what I said. From my perspective, my understanding of the Bible, once you get saved, you might not be what you ought to be, but you're never the same. Can I ask you a question? Does Jesus ever speak to you about coming back to him? I'll never forget, he looked at me, his eyes got big, and he says, does he ever speak to me? He talks to me every day. All day long, he speaks to me about that. I remember in Walhalla, South Carolina, when I was a ministerial student, I was going soul winning, I met a man on the street who I found out owned half the town, which wasn't much, but he owned star stores, he owned liquor stores, he owned a bar. He said, I know you're right, young man. He said, I'm a preacher. I'm so ashamed of myself. Then he told me the story of how many years ago in a tent meeting, he as a young man went forward and received Jesus Christ, got on fire for God and started preaching right away. And he preached under tents and finally became the pastor of a church of God, which is Pentecostal church, and was well known. And then something occurred. He actually told me the story about how there was a threatening situation. He pulled a gun and he killed a man. Self-defense, but he killed a man, which wrecked him emotionally. Didn't have to. Wrecked his reputation. He left the ministry and uh, several other things happened. And he walked totally away from God. And he said, now I own a liquor store. And I, and I did the same thing, only at this time, as a ministerial student, I was asking the question for theological reasons. I said to him, let me ask you a question. Does the Lord ever call you back? And he said to me, all the time. 
once you're saved, you're never the same. And one thing that's down there inside you is love. And now, here's the third thing. The third thing that is hope for the backslider is another chance. In that statement, look at verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Jesus, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now I think he asked him the question three times because Simon Peter denied him three times. One, two, three. And the answer was the same, feed my sheep. First and second Peter written when this same man was an old man. He indicates from my reading and my theological perspective that his calling and gift was pastoring. Yeah, he says, I say to the elders, I'm an elder. That's a word for pastor. He said, feed the flock. That's this word pastor. Take the oversight thereof, overseer, bishop, that's a pastor. I think that Simon Peter's gift was of a pastor. And you know what? He thought that was off the table. Publicly denied Christ. Cursed and swore. Talk about blowing it. I have blown it. Totally blew it. But part of the startling experience of the question, lovest thou me, was the response. If you love me, feed my sheep. He found out pastoring was not off the table. In the mind of Jesus Christ, it was still there. <gasps> Me? Another chance. Now, you and I know that there are things in our life that we do blow, and the devil tempts us to do things that are going to wreck something for our life. Like, uh, uh, something can occur. I remember a fellow called to preach and he got in a fight with his drunk brother and it was going to go to jail and have a police record. Now, that's, that's not real good. The devil's smart. He knows that God's merciful and will forgive us. So he wants to get you to do something that has a permanent effect on your reputation. Like, I know that. And we need our pastor's help to know what particular way in which we can serve. But here's the thing. I do know that Jesus Christ is incurably merciful. And he's calling you back. He's calling you back. And Simon Peter was shocked that pastoring was still an option. If you love me, feed my sheep, which he ended up doing his whole life. Look at the next words. Verse 18. Verily I say unto thee, when thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. 
Now, you know what he was given to him? Here's the biography of Simon Peter, if you let me write it. Now, I know you've blown it, but you know what? You got another chance. And if you do, I'll pick up the pen and write the rest of your story. And you know what? Some backslider right out there in front of me, you need to get it into your head that you haven't totally blown it. Maybe your story would have been better if you hadn't done this or done that. But if you'll give Jesus Christ the pen, he'll write a great story and it'll be your biography. That's what you need to do. Now, does this sound good? When you were a young fisherman, you pretty well took care of yourself. You were a man's man. Okay, but if you'll follow me, when you get old, somebody's going to grab you and take you where you don't want to go. And the next verse says, This spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, Jesus said unto him, Follow me. Follow me. Now, okay, wait a minute. Simon Peter is told, If you get back on track, you know what you'll get to do? You'll get to die for me. They'll put you under arrest. You'll be a martyr. Now, I don't know how that sounds to you, but I want you to think this all the way through. How do you want to die? Now, of course, we want to die in a way that will glorify God. But I mean physically, how do you want to die? Okay, here's a good option. Instead of being martyred, instead of saying a communist puts you up against the wall and shoots you between the eyes, instead of dying like uh, Stephen, okay, uh, an agonizing death for the name of Jesus Christ, here's a better idea. Why don't you waste away in a nursing home? Why don't you lose your teeth? Why don't you lose your capacity to get around? Why don't you lose everybody you love in your life? Get older and older and older and finally lose your mind. That'd be a nice way to die. <laughs> you know, we're so prone to protect ourselves. Well, you know what? I mentioned Stephen. What if your life was like Stephen's? What if you got to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ with your final breath? Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. They crushed his bones and his vital organs, and the man died. I say, what a way to go. What a way to go. What if you were in Mooga Mooga land somewhere? What if somebody took you away and chopped off your head and ate you, but it was for the name of Jesus? I tell you, that sounds, that doesn't sound boring. <laughs> and Jesus Christ, very honest with him, says, here's what's going to happen. If you'll follow me, if you think about it, a life lived to the last day for Jesus Christ serving him is better than any other kind of life you could ever come up with. You know, Pastor and I have been with people when they're dying. I've never had anyone on their deathbed regret following Jesus. That sounds like something a preacher would say. I never have. I've had regrets. I remember a man who uh, got saved, started following the Lord, and then he made deliberate decisions. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. One of those decisions contributed to his death. So I went to see him. He was going to die pretty soon. And he said, come in this room, Pastor. And he told all the family to leave the room. Shut the door. He said, whatever you do, 
when you have my funeral, I want you to tell the people the mistake I made walking away from God and keeping this addiction in my life. I want you to tell them that's what killed me. <laughs> and don't be afraid. Oh, man. You know what? There are rich people who have everything you would say that anybody would ever want. And they live in a great big house. Nothing wrong with living in a big house. But there are rich people who are so empty, who come to the end of their life, wonder if it was worth it. See, but you don't have to do that. You could be on a mission field, not that that's a better place. You could be in the center of the will of God. You could have a list of prayers that God answered. Jesus said, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit, that your fruit should remain, and that whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do. I tell you what, if I've had a life of miracles in answer to prayer and a life of fruitfulness, what better life do you want? <sighs> and Simon Peter had heard the abide in me talk. He had been taught. He had seen Jesus do the miracles. Those were good days, days of discipleship. But friends, I want to remind you of something really neat, and that's this. Salvation is a decision you make once and for all because it's Jesus that keeps you saved. For me to be unsaved now, he would have to fail in interceding, and he's not going to fail. But discipleship is a decision you can make and ought to make more than once. Look at verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. <laughs> Boy, they're all so human. Simon Peter said, you know, if I rededicate, you know you can't re-get saved, you can rededicate. Follow me. You answered that call three and a half years ago. Now I'm giving it to you again. He says, hmm, hmm. What about this man? And the ending of the book of John is so neat. This disciple whom Jesus loved, the anonymous disciple, says, that's the one who wrote these words. Simon Peter says, what will he do? And in so many words, Jesus Christ says, what does that matter to you? Follow thou me, it's you. And on the day that Simon Peter rededicated his life, God started using him. So here we are a few weeks later, it's the day of Pentecost. And the word is, the one they killed at Passover is risen from the dead. And now we want to explain to everyone about the coming of the Holy Ghost and what's happened. And you know what they do? They push the big fishermen forward. Of all people. The last time he spoke in public, he denied that he knew Jesus Christ. And cussed. But they're going to let him be the spokesman. Imagine that. They pushed him forward. He says... I want to tell you what's happened. I want to talk to you about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he has done since he's been at the right hand. He's shed forth the Holy Ghost on us. 
And God has made him both Lord and Christ, and his full name now is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you need him. And somebody in the crowd hollers out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Simon Peter is the one who says, Repent! And 3,000 became believers and followers of Jesus Christ on that day. God used him. In the Old Testament, there's a man who was backslidden, called, had a gift, had a responsibility before God, and he decided, I'm not going to do it. So he ran away from God's will in his life. He ran away from the presence of God. You know who that is. And yet when he finally was restored, when he came back to the will of God for his life, God used him in the most remarkable and powerful evangelistic event of the Old Testament. And I'm talking about Nineveh, and I'm talking about Jonah. Now another case. Simon Peter. God had a plan for his life, and he walked away from it. But then Jesus said, follow thou me. He really dedicated his life, and in a few weeks, he stood up full of the Holy Ghost, and God used him on the day of Pentecost in a very remarkable way. And at this time, when Peter was talking to him, he doesn't call him. Just Simon Peter, he calls him. Simon, son of Jonah! Simon, son of Jonah! I know he's making that reference deliberately. You're the son of Jonah. You're another Jonah. But I intend to use you too in a very remarkable evangelistic success. Now, you know what? I wouldn't be talking like this unless I felt like the Lord was leading me and was directed about this, but I want to tell you something. I'm talking about this because I'm talking to a backslider. In the book of Luke, Jesus is recorded as saying, Take up your cross daily and follow me. The discipleship decision can and ought to be made more than once. Rededicate. Rededicate. You said I will before, but now you're not. So come back. Use the same words. I will follow you. And you know what? Basically, a spiritual awakening for a Christian is a backslider being restored. And I'm not talking about somebody who didn't come today. And I'm not talking about the people down the road from you. I'm not talking to you about members of Falls who don't come anymore. I'm talking about you. A backslider back from where you were. And you know what needs to happen? You need to be restored. You know what that is for you? A revival. And you know what? God will use you. The devil puts that meritorious system into our high head. And we think, you know what, if I got right with God, he'd put me on probation. Watch me for a few days and see how I do. No. Instantly forgiven, full of the Holy Ghost, ready to be used. Wow. Now, I think here's what you should do. Before we leave, we're going to go eat lunch. But before we leave, what you want to do is find somebody and look them right in the eye and say, I'm backslidden by the proper definition. I'm a backslider, uh, me. But I'm coming back right now. Would you pray with me that God would start using me? 
I'm going to tell you, friends, this brief conversation on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias transformed a man who was used of God the rest of his life in a very powerful way. And that little conversation right in this room could make such a significant difference to you and to the world if a backslider would come back. Now, I'm going to ask you, who would say, when you say backslider, now you keep your eyes on me. You know what? By the definition we got today, that's what I am. I'm definitely back. Pray for me, Brother Flanders. Raise your hand. Hands down. I'm a backslider. Now, I'm going to have us pray so we can all pray. And I'm going to ask you to find somebody. And there are preachers around. You can find a preacher. But did you know one of your classmates or somebody else who just showed up would be a good prospect to help you right now? Why don't you look at somebody? You might say, I don't really feel like calling myself a backslider because I might be what you call a sort of backslider. You know, that's what I'm talking about is pride. I'm a backslider, but I'm coming back. Would you pray for me that God will use me? Let's stand up and bow our heads.